Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show that's all about stories. Stories about how people pivoted from one career into a completely different career. Stories about how people suffered massive tragedies but made it through to the other side. And I wanted to sit down and hear these stories and learn from these people so that yes, we could get the entertainment value from the stories themselves, but also that we might learn a little wisdom about how they dealt with life's unexpected events and how they maneuvered the obstacles and hurdles that life threw at them. Because I think at the end of the day, we will all encounter unexpected events in life. That's just kind of how it goes. And so why not learn from people who have made it through those things well? Today, we sit down with James Lawrence, aka the Iron Cowboy. You may or may not have seen his Netflix movie called The Iron Cowboy. And he talks to us about how he did and why he did 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days in 50 different states. It is an amazing feat. And I still, even after talking with him, am baffled at the idea that any human being could pull this off. But James is an awesome guy. He has some really good things to say. I think some fantastic takeaways that we can all learn from. Um, And he's also hilarious. So if you guys want to learn more about him, you can click the links down below. There's social media handles. Uh, You can check him out. He's on most different platforms. And um, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show and give the show a rating or a thumbs up, uh, whatever platform you're listening on. That is highly appreciated. But let's just go ahead and jump into this one with... The Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. James, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Awesome, man. Thanks, Will. We hit the ground running in our friendship. I guess you have a daughter that does gymnastics, and you were really excited to talk with me, not because it was me, but because you know I'm married to Sean. So I get it. I get it. It's my life. I like football, too. Okay, cool. I'll take that. Who's your team? Okay, so only by default, these are the two reasons this is my team. Currently, it's the Minnesota Vikings. Okay. I know. Don't forget. Your head. You asked me who my team was. And I, I can't say they're not my team. No, I said the Vikings for two reasons. One, junior high school, we were the Vikings, and Canada really doesn't have an NFL team. Right. And I went out and I spoke to the team, and they were super kind, really gracious to me. And so I just, by default, they're kind of my team. So. Okay. I respect that. I respect that. Maybe I'll come speak. To, you hook me up with the team. I'll come. Maybe you guys become my team. I don't know. Let's see how this goes first, all right? And then we'll 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 cross that bridge when we come to it. You know. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I would love to hear how you grew up. What was the situation? I understand you're a wrestler, and that that was formative for you. But tell me about where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and uh, so up north. And um, I had a good upbringing. I'm not one of those stories that I was like beat or I got into alcohol. Or, it's crazy because I'm an endurance athlete, right? And everyone's like, oh, you do these crazy things. What are you running from? And I'm like, uh, nothing. Like, can I not be a happy human being that does tough shit? Like, how, how, how come that's not a scenario? But I grew up in Canada, got three sisters, did all kinds of sports growing up. Everyone's like, oh, you're from Canada. You must play hockey. And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't skate. <laughs> um, we, we just didn't have the money to, I mean, hockey is so expensive and you got to start really little. Got into wrestling, loved wrestling, and did that for as long as I could. And then eventually made my way to Utah, where I live now. Met my wife, Sunny. We've got five kids. And uh, we just built our dream home. And so I'm super stoked. Utah's my home, but I'm still real proud of Canada. That's great. So if I was going to say the two stereotypical athletes' mindsets that I would just say are like, are just next level intense, I would say that it would be Ironman athletes and wrestling athletes. I wonder, have you seen that in your experience? Yeah, you know, I've come across a lot of athletes. I I now speak full-time, so I talk to a lot of things. I would put, like, gymnasts up there, too. You know, any type of individual sport where it's, like, it's all on you, 
And I mean, all athletes have to be like, when you hit a certain level, you have to be like wicked discipline. But yeah, I think for sure wrestlers are wired differently. Yeah. Um, and you know, now MMA fighters, I put them into that category. They're just what the grind that those that you got to go through and one, I just think that's different. And then yeah, the pain that we endure in endurance racing and to go out and even like the ultra runners and all that. I mean, it's just a different breed of self punishment. Mm. And it's crazy because I don't love that part of it, but I love, you know, I love the, it's always when you're done, you know, cause you go through this, these intense moments of suffering and you get to the other side of it and you're like, man, I, I can do anything. Like you just feel invincible. And I don't know if you've experienced that in, in your, your athletic career and whatnot, but when you do hard stuff and you come out on the other side of it, you're like, Oh, I just grew. Now what was once hard is no longer difficult. And so I think that's, I think that's the part I really enjoy. Like I always going into something, you know, as humans, it's natural. We doubt ourselves when we have that criticism. And that's the one thing I found by working with so many people is that we're getting in our own way and it's our own fault. Mm-hmm. But then once we actually do it and get through, we're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It was actually pretty cool. Like just last week, I've had this fear. We're filming a mental toughness and grit series. And one of the things that I've been scared of is to go skydiving. And for no other rational reason other than you're jumping out of an airplane, but my chances of dying was probably greater than driving my car to the actual jump than it was jumping out of the airplane. But, you know, I've been putting this off for a long time, but then I did it and I was like, that wasn't terrible at all. It actually was awesome. And, you know, that's kind of parallels a lot of things in life. We're putting off things that we think are scary or they're going to prevent us from growing or having an experience. But then when we do it, it's like, holy cow, that was really cool. Why did I wait so long to do that? I was just talking with um, a friend of mine who is like looking at doing a career change and she like wants, it would be two years of school and she doesn't want to do it because of she wouldn't have health insurance while she's a student. Like, why do you feel like there is that inclination to not take that jump as you were just talking about? I think that, that people think that you're, we're too old to make a change. Yeah. And I'm sitting here at 43 years of age and I don't think it'd be a waste if I wanted to go be a doctor. Because here's the thing, let's say to be a doctor, and I'm not going to do that, that's stupid. But (laughs) let's just say I was, and I I don't know how long it takes, let's say seven years, right? And people are like, oh, I can't take seven years to do this. Well, then I would be a doctor for 10 years if I did it from when I'm 50 to 60. Right. I would have, just imagine the amount of lives you would change and happiness you would have and impact you could have for a decade. Instead, I'm going to not do it for seven years, take that leap of faith and do it. And this, this girl's only talking about two years. Man, two years goes in a blink. Like, I'm terrified right now. My oldest daughter is 17. I'm like, in one year, she's an adult. And like, I remember when she was born, I'm like, where did those 18 years go? My youngest kid is now 10. Like, you're about to have a kid. And I'm telling you, man, those first five years, just like, be so present and just appreciate it. Because I mean, boom, my oldest is like, we're talking about internships and college and all these things. And I'm like, two years? That is nothing. That is a blink of an eye. And What's going to come of it is for her will, will, will be growth and change and excitement and learning. And then she mm-hmm. has a new path and it, because probably she wants to change because she's not happy where she is right now. Right. If you would ask any rational person and said, hey, if I could change your path and that change took two years, but at the other side of that is potential and growth and opportunity and happiness, would you do it? Yeah. Every person is going to say yes. And so she's sitting there and to me, it's a no brainer. And I, I have a lot of people that are like, hey, should I? you know, I want to become a massage therapist, but it's two years worth of work. And I'm like, yeah, you asked me that two years ago, you could be massage. Yes. All the time. Like if you had started every time you said you were going to start something, dude, you, you would have accomplished so many things. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll run across someone. They'll have asked me a question. I'll meet see you up with them five years later. I'm like, oh, dude, did you do that thing? They're like, no. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, same thing I was doing five years ago. I'm like, dude, why are you doing that? Like, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Time goes by so quick. And, yeah, two years seems like a lot. Because, you know, we're, we're LDS. We're Mormon. And guys go on a two-year mission. Guys and girls when they're, you know, 18, 19 years old. And it's always like, holy cow, two years. Well, for example, I just went to my 25th high school reunion. Remember how painful it was in high school? Like every day seemed like it was 10 days long. And you're yeah. like, 11th grade is never going to finish. <laughs> like 25th year and uh, high school. Yeah. And we're, I'm rambling now, but like kids are such in a hurry to, to grow up and, and be an adult. Guys, you're going to be an adult the rest of your life. Chill out, have some fun. And enjoy yeah. things like get to be an adult forever. It's not that great. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I just listening to you have honestly been so inspired. I don't know if it's like the phase of life I'm in. You're, you communicate so clearly and so well and so relatable. But I think that I relate to you specifically because one of Sean's biggest frustrations with me is like, if I see an opportunity or I have like a dream, like I'll jump into it. The negative side of that is I don't put a lot of planning or strategy into it. So like I'll, I'll start it and then I'm like, oh man, I have no idea what I just got no. myself into. No, uh -huh. you're right. You're totally right. That's the way to do it. So I was getting, I just came off the massage table and the girl that's worked on me for a long time, she's incredibly fit. She wants to do her own fitness program and she's got like these 10, 20 things that she's trying to do and get ready and, and put into place. I recently read the book, The One Thing, and I said, look, you've got 10 things you're trying to accomplish right now and do. And frankly, none of this backend stuff is relevant until you have the program written out. And I said, so what's the one thing you can do right now to do it? I said, you've got the dream. And she talked to me about it back in March. And where are we now? End of August and yeah. nothing's happened. And so I said, okay, look, I'm going to help you. I'm going to feed you for three weeks. When I get back, the one thing you have to do is just write out that program. Write out what that looks like or who your target audience is. Because none of, none of this other stuff, where you're going to host it, how you're going to expose it, all that, none of it matters. I explained to her, I said, look, when I came off the second world record 30 Ironmans in a year, I had the idea to do the 50. Well, it was an awesome idea. And the first thing I did was I just started to do something and do whatever I knew that I could do right then. I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to get from state to state. I didn't know how we were going to eat. I didn't know how I was going to prepare my body physically. I mean, I didn't know any of these things. I didn't know how we were going to film it. I didn't know how I was going to fund it. But I was like, no, we're doing this. And just like you, I was like, I'm all in. I'm doing this. This is the plan. What I did do was I, I started doing tasks that I could control right now that I knew would move the needle just a little bit, right? Because here's the thing. If she doesn't write the program, she maybe doesn't know the person that's going to open a door for her to create a platform. Yep. Well, that person hasn't presented themselves to her because she's not ready with that basic thing that she can control right now. As soon as she has that, guess what? That person's going to show themselves in her life and she's going to go, oh, great, I'm ready for you. This is perfect. Yeah. That person, she's never going to manifest that person to come and present themselves because she hasn't done her work. Like you, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of the, the whole, the secret and uh, visualizing and manifesting. And I don't know where you are and all that, but you can't just lay there in your bed all day and like just visualize it. You've got to put to pavement, heart to soul and, yeah. and start digging and do your part. Yeah. And then things will start to happening. But I love your thing. And Sean, I adore you. You're the cutest thing on the planet. But, <laughs> but my man here is right. He's got dreams. He's got, and Sunny's the same way. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a plan. I'm like, we're going to figure it out along the way. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. And every time Sunny's like, man, that was the coolest thing. What an adventure. Thanks for making me do that. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm, 
all about the adventure. Uh, it's something I heard you say in a previous interview, and I just loved it. You emphasize you just got to put yourself in the game show up every day and put yourself in the game and just like you were talking about like when I got done with football like in the way that I could control it in college and high school I was like so discouraged I was like man I, I don't know how to put myself in the game I don't have anybody telling me what to do but like as I've gotten older and more mature like you put yourself in the game of whatever you're involved with like just do the thing like you were talking about and other teammates will show up on the field and the coach will show up on the field, but like you have to be there and like, then it all just kind of, it like makes itself happen honestly because you're walking down this path and everything else is just, it's like making itself work. So it, I'm, yeah. It's, it's going to be one of my three pieces of wisdom at the end is, is kind of along that same line. So I'm not going to say right now, but absolutely the teacher doesn't show up till the student is ready. And sure. if you're not in the game, how are you getting yourself ready? You just, it's just not possible. Yeah. And I'm telling you, every, Biggest questions I get, I come off stage and they're like, holy cow, but how do I become mentally tough? How do I become mentally strong? What, yeah. what is that about? And I'm like, the only way to become mentally strong is through experience. Yeah. You have to show up, you have to experience, and you have to learn and grow and adapt. And you can't do that if you're like on the sidelines, reading a book, trying to like timidly approach it. No, you got to dive in and get your hands dirty. Yeah, man. I, I love that. You mentioned that you think gymnasts are one of the most like mentally tough athletes maybe. And I just have to share this fun story. So we, we've been taking, we took a birthing class, James, I don't know if you ever did this, but I went to this hospital class with my wife and uh, the, the teacher said, she said, all right, now the pregnant lady asked your partner, what do you think their mental toughness number is on a scale of one to 10? And you know, you know how marriage is like, you kind of have a different perspective, like tarnish for better or for worse. And I said, I said, Sean, I, th I think you're a five out of 10 toughness. <laughs> so, I was wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said it. It caused some turmoil. But anyway, that's, that's a side story. Well, it's crazy because I have a film crew here right now because we're filming the mental toughness series. And he asked Felicia, my massage girl, and he said, who handles the pain better on the table, men or women? She didn't hesitate. She was like, oh, women are way tougher than me. <laughs> It's so funny, man. And it's it's true. I wasn't just saying that because your wife's a gymnast. Like my son doesn't want to wrestle, and I was like, okay, if you're not going to wrestle, you have to do something like gymnastics or something where it's like movement and body control and all of those things. It was crazy when I grew up wrestling. There was this kid. He just way late to the game, didn't have any wrestling experience, and we were like, this kid's going to get destroyed. His background was gymnastics, mm. and he did incredible because he knew how to control his body. And he had so much upper body strength and stability. And so he transitioned from gymnastics to wrestling like seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I said to my son, look, I get it. If you don't want to wrestle, you don't like that. I get it. He's 10 now. And I'm like, but you got to do something. And I was like, it's funny, but like my backup thing that I want my kids to do would be like gymnastics. Yeah. Wow. So you have five kids. Uh, do you got any parenting advice? You seem to be a fantastic father. I was watching your TED talk. You had your daughter Lucy up there. And I was like, man. What an awesome dad move to, like, you probably had to push or campaign to have your daughter up there with you. I was like, what an awesome thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, one of the videos that we just finished recording was how to have family life balance and how to achieve your big goals and still have a family. And, you know, you're about to introduce the most precious thing you've ever, yeah, I mean, you can't even imagine the emotions and feelings you're going to have. It's so cool. Do you guys know what it is yet? No, we're not finding out. We're not finding out. Okay, cool. And I had four daughters first before I had a son and, uh, you know, just that daddy-daughter relationship. And I was like, oh, I'd be cool having a fifth daughter. I don't care. And then you get your little man and that's just a different relationship. And so I'm super excited for you. My advice to you being kind of, you know, on the other side of stuff and 
I had to learn as I went. I'm still learning. I'm definitely not a perfect parent and Sonny is way better than I am. But it's don't try to start communicating with your child when they're 15. Like right now is the time. So my three biggest, I don't know how many it's going to be when I finish talking, but my biggest advice to a new parent is love them and encourage them. Allow them to make mistakes and suffer and struggle and communicate with them. You do just those three things and you're going to produce your best chance of a human being on the other side of things. So love and encourage them, communicate with them and allow them to fail and struggle. The worst thing you can do is to be a helicopter parent and give them everything. Mm. Let them struggle, let them fall down, let them get back up, all those kind of things. Man, that's the one that freaks me out because like that's, I feel like going to be the hardest part of, hey, you're doing this wrong, but keep doing it. Like I can't help you, but except to have you go through this and experience it. But I want a little girl. So I'm, the four girls in a row just sounds like a blast to me. I just, I think about all the cute things Sean does. And I think about a smaller version of Sean doing those cute things. I'm like, I'm oh, dude, it, it is so fun. And I absolutely, I mean, my youngest girl's now 12. So I've got 12 to 17 in my girls. And uh, I just miss the little girl. You know, it's just so fun. And my youngest one is still that little girl, but I've got a really great relationship with all my daughters. And it's just so special to have that. And it's just, it's just really, really cool. So being a lazy parent is easy. It, being a lazy parent is easy. And then you just like to be engaged and active. And I mean, I can't tell you how many late nights my wife has spent like just listening to my teenage girls and understanding what they're doing and, and all that. And you'll grow into that phase of it. But, you know, just you and Sean, I mean, my biggest advice is like, just be part of their lives and be a parent, but be their friend and listen and don't always say no and uh, let them. Here's what we do. We, we believe strongly in natural consequences. And uh, like my daughter got into a car accident. No, 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 not a car. She did get into a car accident, but she got a speeding ticket. And she could have come home and I would have been, yeah, grounded from your car for two weeks. This is ridiculous. I'm upset and I throw in whatever. No, I was like, oh man, that sucks. And guess what? You got to pay the ticket. <laughs> when the insurance goes up, you're going to pay that difference. And it's, it actually hurts me to have her stop driving because she does errands for us and does all that stuff. So yeah. nat the natural consequence to that, we make sure that that plays out. And she was like, well, do I have options here? And I'm like, yeah, you can go fight the ticket. And so she was like, my 16 year old, she's like, great, I'm going to court. And she went and fought the ticket. They dumbed it down. But I, we let her go through that whole experience instead of just like, hey, we'll pay your ground for two weeks. Can't drive your car. I'm all pissed off. What's yeah. the point? What's the point of getting upset and pissed off? It was an accident that happened. She had to go to the bathroom. She was like, I got to get home. I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get mad at that. So, I mean, you've got a speeding ticket. I guarantee it. I've got one. So who am I to like? Yeah rain hell and fire on her for it yeah i want to talk about your career in a second but my dad used to be a triathlete he did uh an iron man and i just remember how much time the training takes and the traveling and for you to be as hands-on and involved as you've been is impressive given all that you've done so props to you but i would love to hear the story of your first marathon my first marathon oh man what a terrible experience i still hate running today uh, <laughs> So it actually started with, the, with a, you know, married, we've got two little kids and, you know, corporate job. I think I was managing retail at the time. I was big into golf and uh, I went to the gym. I, I looked good. My wife, Sunny, she's like, hey, let's go do a four mile fun run. And I'm like, okay, I can run four miles. I'm like new to the States and kilometers and miles. I'm like, I don't really know how far that is, but let's go do it. It just destroyed me. I was doing the run and I look over and there's like, beautiful women pushing their newborn kids and strollers just like blitzing by me and having conversations and I'm dying. 
And after that four miles, Sunny, she comes up to me. She's like, James, you're pathetic. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, I'm going to sign us up for the Salt Lake City Marathon. And she signs us up for the marathon. And then uh, we had no idea what we were doing. We like get online and like how to run a marathon and downloaded it a free program and just did the best we could. Ended up running the marathon. I hated it. I got knee problems and back issues and all these things started to happen. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, you have these problems because you don't run. And then I found triathlon and I found the sprint distance and it was explosive and it was fun. And I got to ride a bike and I had to learn to swim and I, the combination of it. And then it was just this whole new world of figuring out nutrition and, and pushing your body and explosive speed and loved all of it. And so I just dove into the sport and that's kind of how I got started in triathlon. Didn't you get wheelchaired out of an MMA fight or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> we had tickets. I, I love MMA. I'm a big fighter. I got Conor McGregor on my wall and just a big fight fan. My, one of my sporting heroes is uh, George St. Pierre. Just a total stud. I, I love his discipline and mindset. But yeah, we, we, we had tickets to go to the fight that night. I was like, yeah, I'll just run a marathon. We'll go have a, an evening. Well, because I didn't have any preparation, I went too long too quick. And I was sitting down at the fights and I was like, I'm not moving. I'm not getting up. And uh, by the time the night was over, three, four hours later, I couldn't get up. Like, my knees had swollen up like cantaloupes. And I'm like, my buddy Mike was there. And I'm like, Mike, I'm, I'm in trouble. I can't stand up. And he's like, come on, let's go. Because he ran it too. And he's like, let's go. We'll just walk to the car. And I'm like, I can't get up. He helped me get to the bottom of the staircase. And then they wheelchaired me out to the car. And I was that's just hilarious. I was like, man, that's a, <laughs> that, that's a bad moment. And I'm like. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let this moment define me. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'm having these problems because I don't run. And I think it's funny all the time because people come to me like, oh yeah, I don't run. I have bad knees. And I'm like, no, you have bad knees because you don't run. What's the typical response to that? Like, because there's, you know, a lot of people do. It's easy to get turned away from like, ah, it's, my body just doesn't feel great today, so I'm I'm not gonna do it. And then two months later, two years later, two decades later, you're like, you haven't done it again. So like, what do you say to those people? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not out here to push an agenda on anybody. And it's like you said, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I, I, wow. I've learned a long time ago, because I've been coaching for a long time, and I've learned I am, I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to make you do anything you don't want to do. If you want to do it, I'm going to make you better. And I can make you the best, and, uh, bring out the best version of you. Mm -hmm. But if you, you don't want to do it, that's not my job. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not here to change you. I'm here to help you. I'm a tool to help you grow to be the best piece that you can be, but I'm not going to. I mean, you just can't convince people to do anything. You got to be ready. You know how it is when you like hear a book and you're like, man, I hated that book. And then you hear it like, listen to it again five years later. And like, but that was the best, the most amazing book I've ever heard in my life. It's just because mm -hmm. your mind, your headspace was different. And you're, you know, because we go through life and we're learning all types of different things. And you could read a book now and read it later and something different jumps out at you. I've, I've had people listen to my exact same stage presentation like three, four times. And they're like, oh man, that was so amazing. You changed it all up. And I was like, no, it's the same story, but they got something different out of it because they're at a different part of their journey. Yeah. And that's, yeah. What, that's what I love about my speaking career right now is a speaking bureau will call me and they're like, hey, we've heard you're amazing. We want you to come speak. Can you tell us what your three main points are? What are your pillars of blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, no, dude, I don't have one. I, I said, if you want me to come and have like the three bullet points that's going to change your life, I'm only going to speak to half your audience because the other half isn't on that part of the journey. I said, let me come and share my raw emotional journey with you guys. And I promise I'm going to hit every member of your audience because every one of those people are at a different part of their journey. Mm. We never miss. We always hit everybody in the audience because everybody's get something else from it. I'll give you an example. I went and did a really small private 
event. It was in a house. It was a group of executives, like a retreat type thing. And I came in and I told my story and whatnot. And then after I left, the guy that was running the group, he said, okay, I want everybody to go into the private spaces. And then I want you to write down what you got out of today's presentation from the Iron Cowboy. And then they came back and then they, they discussed it. When the leader of the group said, okay, I want you to tell me what, what each one of you got out of it. He goes, not one person got the same thing. Wow. And he gave that feedback to me and I was like, that is amazing. That's exactly what I want because my goal is to impact you on the journey that you're on. But I don't, I can't possibly, in an audience of 500 people, I can't know what all of your journeys are, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that through our journey and the, and the, the over decade of work that we've done, something's going to resonate with you. And uh, that was just really cool for me to hear that, that in a group like that, not one of them had the same takeaway. And I was like, yes, that, I'm doing my job. Wow, that's fantastic. You do do a good job at it. Today's episode is brought to you by Zebit. The only thing worse than having zero time for holiday shopping and zero ideas for gifts is having zero money to buy gifts. But Zebit is fixing all of these problems with their amazing online marketplace and products available with zero interest, zero fees, and zero cost to join. With Zebit, simply choose a product you love and only pay a small portion of the price at checkout. The rest you pay over time at 0% interest. Check this out. I'm looking at a pair of AirPods, which go everywhere else at a retail price of about $159. But on Zebit, I only pay $30 down and finance the rest over time at 0% interest. And for last minute holiday shopping, there's no better option. When it's too late to ship something, Zebit gives you instant access to gift certificates from dozens of your favorite brands and stores like Nike, Macy's, Old Navy, and Foot Locker. Whether you're knocking your list out ahead of time or scrambling for something last minute, with Zebit, you're only one click away from a great holiday gift. Sign up for Zebit today at zebit.com east and get up to $2,500 credit to shop the Zebit Marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join. That's Z-E-B-I-T dot com slash east for $2,500 of interest-free credit. Zebit.com slash east. I want to stop for a second and give a shout out to Himalaya. Himalaya is my favorite app to listen to podcasts on. And not only do they have a truly beautiful interface, they also have great search and discover features to help you find new shows. And then they also have some really creative and unique ways for you to help support creators and interact with those creators. So thank you, Himalaya. Be sure to check them out and follow me if you get the chance. I believe it was during this time you're doing the fun run in the marathon. You were, you had your own mortgage business. Is that correct? Yeah, I used to own a mortgage company. So that was pre-2008. And then, in, you know, obviously the economy crashes. And Sonny and I, we were like, we are not filing bankruptcy. We're going to fight. We're going to do whatever we can. And for two years, I mean, we lost our home. We lost our rent. We lost everything. And we just were fighting, fighting, fighting. And finally, we just were like, we can't, we just can't do this. And we did everything we could and ended up having to file bankruptcy and lost everything. And, you know, it is in the moment you're like, my life's over. I don't know how to I don't know what to do, but you get up and you start fighting and looking back on it, it's literally the best thing that ever happened to us. Mm. One, it brought us closer together because it was massive adversity and it brought us together. And then two, that same thing we were talking about, that friend of yours, should I go do this for two years and take that leap? I've got to abandon some security nets that I have right now. And so I don't know that I would have ever gone on this journey that I went on now because my number one rule to people is, look, 
you've got a big dream and you want to chase it, don't quit your day job. Like it's going to take a little bit longer than you think it is. And you've got to be willing to sacrifice and build your dream outside of what's covering your basic fundamentals, right? Well, your basic needs, you've got to cover those. And especially if you've got a family and kids, like it's different if I was single and 23 and I can take some risks and I, yeah, I'm okay living out of my van, but my kids maybe not. And they've got, they got to eat and I'm, I'm okay eating a beef stick, but they're probably not, you know, it's all these things. So What's interesting for me is when it happened, I was like, this is the worst thing ever, but it kind of allowed me to take that leap without having to abandon something. They had taken everything away from me. Like I was like, this is a completely clean slate. I can go do whatever I want. Now's the time to go chase my dreams. Cause it was the exact same scenario. I was like, okay, I go chase this for two, three years and it doesn't work. I can still go back to school and do two, three years of that too. I'm still only going to be 35 right? You got to think if I live to 80, I'm not even halfway through my life. And so I was like, okay, now's the time to take that risk. I'm not risk. I've already lost everything. They can't take more from me. Now's the time to take that. So looking back on it, I'm like so grateful for the economic crash. And I'm so grateful that it brought Sonny and I together super strong, that we were able to grow through that. We had to fight together to do it. And it allowed me to really chase my dream because we didn't have anything. I think uh, what you were just talking about is don't quit your day job because you have to provide for, uh, you know, the daily needs that you have. You mentioned in another interview, sometimes you need to ditch the inspiration to build the foundation, I believe is how you, is how you phrased it. Or inspiration is great, but what about the foundation? And that is so powerful because like, you know, you talk about these big dreams, but <laughs> what does it actually take to make that big dream happen? I don't well, know I'll, I'll, I'll tell our story from stage and then I'll get an email from someone six months later and they'll be like, I've been thinking about it this whole time. I'm super inspired. I'm going to quit everything and I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Yeah. Like, like don't quit that yet because this is going to take some time to develop right. and, and do it. And, it's just always amazing to me. I, I want people to understand that big dreams and big goals take a long time and they deserve respect to what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, I say it all the time. I write it in my books when I sign them, go all in. Mm -hmm. and, and that means is like, go all in, give it your heart and soul, but you've got to sacrifice some things. And if that means that sacrificing some sleep and stuff right now, that's what it means. It doesn't mean like abandon everything and put all your chips on this table. You can still put all your chips in here, but you have to have some scattered around. You got to take care of your basic needs. But like I said, it's different if you're 22 and nobody else is relying on you and whatnot. But if you're a family and you want to change careers and sometimes like you've got to nudge that needle a little bit. So it's kind of counterintuitive and, you know, everybody says go big or go home, go all in. You know, I'm a huge advocate for it, but there's a few asterisks beside that that you got to pay attention to. I think it's a mistake for some people. Yeah, I think a lot of times they can feed into each other. I don't know how much you know about my story, but like my big dream was always the NFL. And then I realized like, man, I think I can dream bigger. But the NFL was, I guess you could call it my day job, even though it wasn't like working out as I wanted it to. But I realized that I could use that, my NFL experience to ultimately, you know, start building my digital presence. And mine and Sean's goal is to ultimately speak to 1 million couples and, and help inspire them to like, you know, learn what love is in like a biblical sense and really impact them positively there. And so like, I was, I'm still doing the NFL. I haven't retired yet. It's kind of like a security blanket, but it's different for everybody. But a lot of times they can actually be, you know, complimentary to each other. Um, Absolutely. You mentioned after the mortgage company closed shop, you had a blank slate. I'm curious, what was the first thing you did with that blank slate? The first step you took? Well, the first thing I did is I was like, I've got young kids. I have to provide. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I did crap jobs I didn't want to do. I mean, I remember 
putting the kids to sleep and then getting in my car and hoping I had enough gas to get to the construction site. And then I would hang new construction kitchen cabinets in the middle of the night to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, those needs are met. Now, how am I going to chase my dream? And then I partnered with a charity and I said, okay, this is what we're going to do to raise money for charity. And I tried to get sponsors. And then I just literally just started to hustle. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know. I just kept showing up and kept making calls and kept emailing and kept getting no's and no's. We're not interested. You're not good enough. You can't do this. And I just kept showing up. And so the first thing I did was make sure my needs were met and made sure that I was providing for the family. And then whenever I could, I would just start hustling. So all the Ironmans you've done, you've been raising money for the Childhood Obesity and Jamie Oliver Foundation. Is that the charity you're working with? So the first couple of years, we partnered with a charity called In Our Own Quiet Way. And we built dams in Africa and children's feeding centers and started some women's groups to get them being self-sufficient and reliant. So we did that for several years. And then in 2015, we switched to the Jamie Oliver with an emphasis on the childhood obesity epidemic. Because I, uh, I watched that TED Talk that Jamie Oliver did where he's talking about sugar and the sugars we're consuming. And he walks out on stage and he empties out this big wheelbarrow full of sugar. And it's this mound of white sugar sitting on stage. And he says, this is what a kid will consume in a school year through soda. And I was just like, holy cow, that's insane. And so it really resonated with me, that visual. And I was like, I got to talk to this Jamie Oliver guy and see how I can partner and see what his programs are all about. And then we set up the partnership and I was like, I've got five young kids and I can see I'm involved in the school system. And I look around and I'm like, man, this is a serious problem. And then I heard the statistic where the first generation ever, where the, the parents are slated to outlive the kids meaning we're killing our kids through food and nutrition. Wow. And, uh, and I was just like, I've got five kids. I don't want to bury any of my kids. I want to die before all of my kids. And, and if I can prevent that with food, you know, outside of an accident and whatnot, if, if we're torturing and killing our kids with food, I want to do what I can to help not have that be a part of my scenario. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, how can we, how can we get people moving? How can we try to educate people? And so we associated my really tough challenge in life or the, the 50 challenge and we did a 5K every single day to get people to come out and move with us. I was like, people aren't going to do an Ironman with me, but they, some people did. But I was like, we can at least get people to come to a 5K. And through that, we raised over $100,000 and just really had an impact. And now it's opened up so many doors and we're having even bigger impact by helping people shift their mindset from stage. And just, you know, I often think what would have happened had I listened to the critics and the social media. And you know what I'm talking about because you've watched the documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we were just heavily attacked and for decisions we made. And I was like, what would have happened if I listened to those people that thought that put value on, you know, my journey. Yeah. And I tell it really cool. Cause you watched the documentary, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we spent a portion of one of the days on an elliptical. It was the day after I crashed a bike and I was, it was 18 days in, we're in the middle of a chasing a hurricane. And so, I mean, and this really bothered me the way that we got attacked. And I was like, I'm really taking this personal and and it affected me. And I got depressed about it. And I was like, I didn't do the 50 and I'm a total loser and and all these things. And and then I was like, okay, let's think about, let's take the emotion out of it and why I'm upset. And let's look at it objectively. And I I wrote down the numbers and I said, okay, this was 7,030 miles that you covered in those 50 days outside of the travel. Like that was just the swim bike run, 7,030 miles or 40. And then I said, okay, you did less than 13 miles on the elliptical, which was, if anybody hasn't done some work on elliptical, it's terrible. It's so boring. It's hard to get your heart rate up. So the effort that I was matching was, and it was just, it was just tough. 
and, and I did the math and it came out that the amount of time that I spent on the elliptical is 0.24%. So less than a quarter of a percent. So 99.7% of the time on this journey, we nailed it. But as you saw, the trolls came out and they attacked us. They wanted me to quit on that moment in day 19 when we posted that picture. I wasn't hiding it. I was like, this is what we did. This is the decision we made. This is why we did it. And, um, and I was shocked. Criticism, backlash, everything that we got. So once I did that math, I was like, holy cow. I almost allowed somebody else's opinion of 0.24% of my journey to completely derail me, right? How many people out there right now are allowing somebody else's opinion of their journey impact them, right? And it happens way more than you can imagine. And I was so grateful that I had the team around me that I did, that I didn't quit because we've gone on to literally impact hundreds of thousands of people with our story through the book, the documentary and our speaking. And I mean, I wouldn't be sitting in here talking to you and, and hopefully being exposed to your influence that hits one person, right? Mm-hmm. Had I listened to those people and it's just staggering when you hear that number 0.24%. That is amazing. For those of you who don't know, the documentary he's talking about is and can be found on Netflix and Google Play, whatever market you look to buy your movies. It's called Iron Cowboy, where it documents his 50 Ironmen in 50 days in 50 states. It's absolutely amazing. And actually, crazy story. I had I was training for a marathon and I watched the movie. And then literally that day, I got a couple of DMs from some of your fans who you have impacted. And they said, hey, you got you to gotta interview James Lawrence. And so it's kind of cool how it all worked out. But here we are finally sitting down with each other. One of the things you said is, you have this 50-50-50 headline, but what people don't see behind that headline is the decade of work that was put into that. So you did the amazing thing, but what were some of the steps leading up to that? Yeah, you know, people see the headline and they're like, oh, that guy's genetically gifted. That guy's rich and single. <laughs> I've, I've been tested and I am just completely normal. Like I'm a white Canadian dude that barely <laughs> in high school, right? Yeah. And it's because I develop habits and I show up every single day and I, and I work harder than most people. What was the question? What were some of the stepping stones to oh, get yeah. to that point? Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, I didn't just wake up one day off the couch and go, ah, today, 50 Ironmans, 50 days, let's go. And, and it was a natural progression. I mean, I started and struggled through a four mile fun run, which pushed me to a marathon, which eventually took me to sprint triathlons, which I did for years before I ever started to go longer into Olympics and halves. And, you know, when you start something, this goal seems completely ridiculous and untouchable, but it's through experience and growth and building that foundation that you mentioned to really build on that. And then one day I was like, okay, I think I can go break the world record for the half Ironmans this year. And I went after it and I did it. And that was the hardest thing. And when I was in the middle of it, I was like, man, I, I'm at my limit. But then I finished it and I looked back and I went, I think I can break the full Ironman world. I've got experience now. I can do this. And I went out and I knocked out 30 Ironmans in a year, 11 countries, all official events second Guinness world record. And in the middle of that, you're like, Woo, this is it. This is the hardest thing I can think of, right? And this is what I can process because that's the only experience we have. And then again, I finished that and I was like, now I want to know what my mental physical limits are. What's the hardest thing I can think of? And I looked online and done a ton of research and I was like, I'd known of Dean Carnass's story. And I don't know if you've seen him. He's, he's known as the ultra runner. Over 10 years ago, probably 15 now, he's older, but he did 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states. And I was like, that is unbelievable. And this guy's had a total career after that and speaking and sponsorships and whatnot. And I'm like, man, I wonder if I could do that with an Ironman. That seems really hard because I wanted to find my limits. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. 50 Ironmans, 50 days, 50 states. And like we talked about earlier, I'm like, I have no idea how that's going to happen, but that's what I want to do. And that's what 
I want to know what I do when I'm backed into a corner. I want to know what I want to do when I mentally break. I want to know what my, how my body reacts when it's taxed to its limit. I don't want to compare myself against somebody else. I want to find out what my limits are because that's what we do as humans. We're like, we look over here, what's that guy doing? I think I can do that. Let me reach what the level he's at. And I didn't want to do that. I want to go, no, what's he doing over there? Great. Let's times that by 10 and 20. Let's go try to achieve that because that's what I think I can do. So that's, that's how we did it. It was a year of experience and progress and mistakes and errors and learning. And then I was at the point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to tackle what the world thinks is impossible. I'm that guy. I believe in myself because that's all that matters. Believe in yourself. And then, I, and then I showed up every single day. I visualized it. I felt it. I internalized it. I put together the team I needed and the rest is history. Boom. There it is. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. This is going to go longer than 45 minutes because I'm really enjoying this. Um, but I'm curious. So you said you don't like to compare yourself to other people. You mentioned you're not a genetic freak. You know, what made you believe in yourself to the extent that you did to think you know, running 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states is amazing. Don't get me wrong. I just did my first marathon and it was like, it's so hard. It was difficult. But doing an Ironman is a different game. So like you just saying, I believe in myself that I can do this. Where did that come from? Again, it's through experience. And here's something that I think you'll agree with because of something you said earlier. Being naive about how hard something is, is a blessing. <laughs> and I don't know how hard that sucker was going to be. No way do I do it. I don't even show up. I don't even conceive it in my mind. But I think that's what leads to a lot of our success is we don't understand how hard something's going to be. You do believe in yourself 100% and you just commit and you say, you know what? I've got belief. I've got a conviction. And whatever it takes, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out along the way. And I said in one of my interviews one time, I said, I don't have a hundred. Like, they would always ask me, do you think you can do it? And why do you think you can do it? And I said, well, I don't understand why you don't think I can do it because I have 300% belief and conviction that it's going to happen. And that's the type of, of conviction you have to have. When you go in on, on something this big, you can't waver. You've got to have extreme you know, resolve on what you're doing. You've heard it. Everybody has heard it. It's been said to death. What's your why? Make sure you have your reason. Make sure you have your, the thing that you, why you're doing it. And I did a post on my on Instagram two or three days ago, Iron Cowboy James, by the way. I did a post the other day on Instagram that said, what was your why? And I said, hey, if you're on a big journey, you're one why. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be big enough. And you need to be armed with a bag of whys or a satchel of whys or a bucket of whys. Because, you know, you saw it in the documentary on day number 30. I'm like, I'm done. And I got off my bike and I laid down on the side of the road. And if I was only armed on that day with my one wide, being like, yeah, big gulps, I'm going home, I'm good, right? But I started thinking, okay, this is why I'm doing it. Okay, this is also why I'm doing it. Okay, this is meaningful to me. And I started putting all of these things together. And all of a sudden, I have this big ball of whys. And it took all of those to get me to get back on my bike and do 20 more Ironmans. Had I gone into this journey, I'd be like, yep, I know my why. I've got it. I've got it now. They know what I'm doing. I would have quit on that day. And so if you're headed into something that has meaning and, and for you, I mean, you're building this media empire and, and you're doing your thing and your show and you've got this, I guarantee you, you've thought about this. There's not one reason you're doing this. It's not just to impact X amount of people. It's about growth for you. It's about a future for your new child. It's about the relationship you have with Sean. It's about all of these things that you're bringing together. And, and people was like, well, what's your one why? And I'm like, I don't have one why I've got a hundred. And every single day or week or month, I do an audit and making sure that it's different because as I go through my journey, that why has to change. During the 50, my why, they took away my home. And my why was I'm going to take my life back and build my home. I'm sitting in my office in my dream home. I've got a fort. I, I mean, 
I've built my home that can no longer be my why. I mean, obviously my why is to continue to make the payment on this home and get it paid off so that it's mine and I own it. But like to build my dream home, that can't be my why. I've done that. So as I go through my journey, my why has to continually change as I, as a person, we as a team grow, evolve and change. So don't just have one why, have a bag of whys and you've got to look at everything before and I'm rambling. That's great. Tell me about the yellow glasses. Yeah, I've got them here. The infamous yellow glasses. Yes. They are. Wow. These are the ones that I wore in the 50, on the 50, on the final day of the 50, crossing the finish line of the 50. And um, these mean a lot, right? Because right now, I'm James Lawrence, husband, father, human being, right? Now, I'm, now I'm the Iron Cowboy. And this dude, he's a bad, bad man. And uh, you've got to have something in your life, a trigger or switch or something that I call it putting on your uniform, right? You are a different person when you suit up and put on your pads and your helmet, right? That's your uniform. Michael Jordan, he throws on number 23. Dude's a different person. GSP, George St. Pierre, Conor McGregor, they put on their gloves and their gi, different person, right? So you've got to be able to, it's like your alter ego, like, when you've got to flip a switch, when you're backed up against the wall, do you have the experience? Do you have the knowledge? Do you have the ability? Have you done it enough times? Have you made yourself uncomfortable enough times to where you can go, it's time, right? Superman, put on whoever it is, and now I'm the Iron Cowboy. And when you put me in that situation or scenario, get out of my way. Yeah. Like, like there's urgency right now. There's purpose. There's reason. And you're not going to stop me from accomplishing this. And, and that's just who I am and who you can be. And you just have to get to that level. And it takes experience and practice and failures and missteps and whatnot to be able to be like, no, when I flip that switch, perfection's coming. Look out. That's great. I disagree with one example that you gave. Conor McGregor seems to be fighting people, whether he's inside the ring or outside, but that's beside the point. Huh? <laughs> you see? <laughs> okay. There's two Conor McGregor's just like there's two Lance Armstrong. <laughs> you got to respect the one on the bike and the one on the ring. Yeah. The complete dumbass outside the ring. Like just <laughs> Fair enough. Fair and, enough. Yeah, I, I've got a picture of Lance. I've got a picture of Conor. I've got a picture of LeBron. I've got Tiger Woods here. I've got, yeah. Yeah, I've got my office is actually pretty cool. I've got some cool stuff. Wow. So I always love asking people, and I think it's important, like who is the team around you that has helped you do what you do? And you mentioned during your 50-50-50, you were never alone. There's a whole community of people that surrounded you and helped you through it. Uh, in one of your races, I think maybe earlier before the 50-50-50, you mentioned a kid named Dayton with cerebral palsy who you did the Ironman with. But I feel like there's one inspirational person in your life, and that's your wife, Sunny, who is a big team player. Seems like she really lights a fire under you. Yeah, there's, there's nobody like Sunny Joe Mama. She's, she's the coolest person on the planet. And, and right now her focus is obviously raising the kids. I, I said, hey, what's your dream? What do you want to do? I'll support you in anything you want. She says, I want to be a mom. And so I do everything I can to make sure that she can do that. And she is an unbelievable mom. She's an unbelievable wife to me and, and all the support. And we, you know, people always ask her all the time, why do you let him do this? And she's like, I know who I married and I support him 100%. And we are doing this together. It's not him doing this and me doing this. Now, the journey that we're on is very 
our goals are always the same. We're, we're parallel to each other. But the experiences that we're having is very different. Actually, the book I want to write next is uh, I want to write it with Sunny, and I want it to be the journey from her perspective because it's very different. It's very empowering. I, th- I think, you know, there's the strong woman story that needs to be told that you can be a mom and you can live your dreams and you can be the supporting role and the lead character. And she's an individual and she has power and all of these things. And, and actually, I want, to, I want to do a motion picture where it's told from her journey and, and whatnot. It's kind of, it, it would kind of be a mix of my favorite movie, Rudy, which would be my, my story along the side. And then Blindside, where you've got the Sandra Bullock character, where she's just such an influencing person, a support of the caring, you know, that whole thing. And so I would love to produce that movie one day. I'm just waiting for the right person. I, I must not be ready as a student. Because that that person hasn't presented themselves to me yet. So, Max, I'm working with Uriah Faber. Um, he's got some really good connections and, and and wants to write this movie. So, we're getting closer and closer to making that a reality. But yeah, Sunny Joe is is obviously everything to the journey that I've been on, and uh, absolutely couldn't have done it without her. And, and when you read the book Redefine Impossible, you really understand and get a sense of her role and what she played and what she had to sacrifice. I mean, we went into the 50 and she, it was supposed to be a summer vacation for her and the kids. I was supposed to have everything done and planned and ready. And then by about day five or six, she was like, we're out of control. And uh, if I don't step up and do something, then we lose everything in this wolf or not. And she says, I'm all in. And uh, my summer's about to change and I'm going to make this happen. And she took over the responsibility of campaign manager and, and everything that, that I just couldn't do because I was so exhausted and everything was spiraling out of control. And it's just a really, really cool story of how she ultimately saved the 50. We would not have been able to continue had it not been for the role that she didn't recognize and, and took place. It's small, but for what it's worth, uh, I think you do a good job. And you always say we when we did this and, and we accomplished that. You do a good job at that. But I'm curious, I would love to hear if you could plug your mental toughness course. When is that going to be done? Where can people find it? I want it now. Sign me up. Yes, it'll actually be. So what we just filmed now, we actually put out a piece. It was called the 10 kind of tips to mental toughness that can kind of get someone started. It was a it was a PDF free download. And then people were like, okay, now can you elaborate on that? And I was like, okay, so we're doing a video series, just a real quick one. 10 modules that we're just going to throw out for free to kind of like do a little bit more of a deep dive so that I'm going to Fiji um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, when I get back from Fiji, that, that edit should be done. So probably in October, that'll be available. We're going to put it up uh, for a free download on my Instagram, which again is Iron Cowboy James. Um, and so that, those 10 modules should be done. We just finished filming today. We did three days worth of filming, which was also fun, but also exhausting. I'm sure you've experienced some of that, but yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of value to it. Well, I appreciate you joining us uh, after completing all that. But yeah, I would love to hear about this eco challenge you're about to do in Fiji. It sounds like it's a blast. Yeah, I, you know, I use the word blast or fun loosely with this type of challenge. Um, we've known about it for a year, but we were told we had to keep it quiet because it, it's a big production. Amazon Prime, 10 episodes. Mark Burnett is producing it. Bear Grylls is the host. 65 teams from around the world, 35 film crews following us. It's a 420-mile map and navigation with compass trek through the backwoods of Fiji. We're going to be doing mountain biking, jungle trekking, ropes ascending, descending, kamaku, traditional Fijian boats that we're going to be sailing to different oceans. And who else knows what they're going to throw at us? And so just crazy cool adventure off the grid, no GPS, no nothing. We leave on Tuesday, so to, uh, which would be September 3rd, get to Fiji on the 6th, and then we're off the grid for almost two weeks. Oh my gosh. That's going to be great. I'm sure you'll, you'll crush. I'm rooting for you. All right. I want to hear about what your goals are now, James. Yeah. So uh, obviously I, when I have a big goal, which Fiji is, that becomes my immediate attention. So that's been all consuming for me. 
big picture lifetime goal is to, to impact over a million people from stage and through our book and through the series that we're releasing. And we're already close. It's been amazing. So I think I need to up that number to maybe 10 million. Yeah. To really get going. And it was just amazing. I mean, in the last three years, I've, I've spoken to 48 countries and had no idea. We've done no marketing, no advertising. It's just kind of organically happened, which has been a ton of fun. I've got a couple big races. December, we're going to Patagonia to do a mountain Ironman. I'm going to do Ironman St. George with my wife next May. I'm going to hopefully at age 44 PR at a, an Ironman distance race in Germany. And then the back half of 2020, we're going to get ready for a 2021 challenge doing seven Ironmans, seven days on seven continents. Oh my gosh. So we'll start in Antarctica, Lima, Peru, USA, Madrid, Spain, Cairo, Egypt, Dubai, and finish in Australia. Wow. So it'll be uh, three different world records and we're calling it the Conquer 7 Project. That's fun for me to hear. You're the one that has to go through it. So um, I, like <laughs> I just finished my first marathon, man. And that was a journey for me because like this is what I trained with Scott Jurek. I don't know if you know Scott. He's in Mobile, Colorado, but I've um, never met him. I know his name. Oh my gosh. Like he's had a similar effect as you where it's like he did the 24 hour running race. And here I am like worried about my marathon. And when somebody sets the bar and does something wild as you have done, it honestly inspires belief in someone like me who's never done it before. Like, oh, well, if they can do, if they can do 50 in 50 days, I could do one in one year. You know, like, <laughs> I, get, I get emails and, and DMs every single day with someone who's like, I struggled through that workout and then I thought, holy hell, if you can do 50 <laughs> <laughs> I finished today's bike ride. Oh my gosh. Man, this has been so much gold and wisdom in here. I would love for you to share three, if not more, things that you've learned in your journey for all the ups and downs that there's been that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, man. I mean, there's just so many things that I've learned and I'm so humbled to have been on the journey. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. Obviously, teamwork is huge. But as we were talking, I wrote down kind of three pieces that resonate with me. And one of them is you have to learn through experience. And uh, the hardest thing to do is start. And so at some point in time, have a dream. But I've seen a lot of people fail because they don't ever start. Mm. And uh, that's a huge piece of failure. The other part is uh, number two would be keep showing up. We're not experts when we start something and we can't become experts unless we keep showing up. And as an example, uh, in terms of a diet, you're not going to be perfect in execution. And if I fail today, if I keep showing up tomorrow, I'm not going to get set back. The problem is, is if you fail tomorrow and then you stop showing up for six months and then try to start again, you've got this A, A plus F minus model where you're striving for perfection and then ultimately failing and the failures are longer than the perfection periods. And it's just this terrible period in your life that lasts for a decade, right? So just keep showing up. And then the last one, and you've heard me talk about it, is being uncomfortable intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. And so I mean, that that's the only way to grow is to take yourself and intentionally Put yourself in, a, in an uncomfortable situation so that you can learn and grow. So it'd be keep showing up, learn from experience, and intentionally becoming uncomfortable. Fantastic. James, I want to personally thank you for setting such ambitious goals because it allows other people to believe in themselves and, and set their own goals kind of riding your coattail. So anyway, I appreciate the time. It's great to meet you, and hopefully you can meet up in Utah sometime. Absolutely. End of next month. Let's do it. Perfect. If you haven't yet, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps the show out. And um, I love having a new audience. I love hearing what you guys think. And I love having you come back every single week.